podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. Reconciling Congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Good morning. I'm Jerry Stone King, a long-distance member of the Upworth community, and I'm reading this morning from Luke 23, verses 44 through 46 and 50 through 56. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Holy wisdom, holy word. 
Good morning. It's great to be back in the virtual pulpit at Epworth. We've had a wonderful array of speakers and preachers in the last few weeks, from our seminary interns to our district superintendent, to Brian Adkins' farewell sermon, to the powerful witness of Reverend David Orsman and Epworth member Michael Martin. I'm so grateful for all of these voices, and I'm also so grateful to be beginning my fourth year as Epworth's pastor. I look forward to another year of wonderful ministry and relationship with you all. This is my 28th year in ministry. And so I wanted to begin this morning with a story from my early ministry. As I was preparing to go to seminary, I was given the opportunity to work in a large church in Kansas City. I had a title, but really my job duties were very open. I was given the freedom to just serve people, get to know people, care for them, see things that needed to be done, and respond with the good news and love of the gospel. Well, what I saw were many wonderful ministries, but also a power structure that was largely male, the predominant use of he when referring to God, and a lot of praise for the contributions of men, while the work of women was largely taken for granted. I wanted to do something that lifted up the women who were doing heavy lifting themselves, so I gathered a planning committee. We planned a wonderful day of speakers, panels, table conversations, beginning by remembering our baptism and ending with communion. We sent out invitations across the city. I was 23 and I didn't know that sometimes you plan something like that and no one comes. To my amazement though, women didn't just come, they filled the hall to overflow. I opened the day that day naming the many places in the Bible that women are never named. Noah's sons are named, but Noah's wives and daughters never named. The male disciples are named, but the many women who follow Jesus never named. Often they're just referred to as the women. The woman at the well never named and on and on. The joyful and grateful response from women from all over Kansas City overwhelmed me. But as I look back at the event, I see now there were still voices missing, still unnamed and not present women among the panelists and speakers. All of the women who spoke that day were white. There were no black women or other women of color among those who spoke. I confess, I, it didn't even occur to me. In putting together the event, I just pulled from people I knew. And I didn't see that all of the women I was lifting up as unnamed in the Bible in my opening address were also women of color. I didn't name that, thereby making part of their identity invisible. I was well aware of how members of a, a dominant group weren't naming people like me, but I couldn't see how as a, I, as a member of a dominant group, was doing the same thing. Well, this is how implicit bias and systemic racism is perpetuated. White folks don't automatically know our own biases. 
our limited perspectives, our lack of relationship and networks with persons of color. On the other hand, persons of color have a wide knowledge of the white world. It's necessary, especially in this country, to be able to navigate white relationships, white spaces, in order to survive. An intersectional consciousness was what I lacked. A consciousness that understood multiple forms of discrimination based on race, ethnicity, gender, physical ability, age, class, culture, sexuality, religion, national origin, class, education, documented status, and language. Intersectionality is not just the consciousness of these different identities and the bias they elicit, but the awareness that these discriminations are complex and cumulative. Among the most remarkable, transformative, and essential aspects of the movement for Black Lives is that it has been a movement with an intersectional consciousness from the beginning. The platform put out to communicate the goals of the movement for Black Lives has six pieces, and the most recently added is this, end the war on black people. Then, as this is an intersectional movement, the platform goes on to delineate end the war on black communities, black youth, black women, black queer, trans, gender nonconforming, intersex people, end the war on black disabled people, on black migrants, end prisons and detention, end the war of surveillance on black people. Everyone is included in this vision of liberation centered from black identity. This current movement was started by three black women, each with her own intersectional identity. They have called on us to proclaim the names of Sandra Bland, a black woman in Texas who was killed in police custody, of Tony Dade, a black trans man who was murdered by police in Florida, of Marcus David Peters, a black man dying at the hands of police while experiencing mental illness. They have called on us to say their names and understand their intersectional identities, the way multiple discriminations put them in double and triple and quadruple danger. They have called us to take into account the totality of their lives, not just their identities that triggered oppression, but their other identities too, that of brother, sister, daughter, son, professional, student, volunteer, nurse, musician. They call us to say the names of all black persons who have lost their lives due to the war on black people, but especially those killed at the hands of the state. George Floyd, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor. They are martyrs among many whose lives have gained new life in death. And while we lift the names of those who have died unjustly, we need to also lift the names of those who should be known to us now and throughout history. Do you know the names of the women I've been speaking of who founded the Black Lives Matter movement? They are Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi. 
Alicia Garza and, and Patrice Colors are both Californians, Garza from the Bay Area and Colors from Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area. Garza and Tometi both identify as queer. Tometi is the daughter of Nigerian immigrants. They are all young. Their names are becoming more well-known, but not yet household names. When the history gets written and told about the Black-led movement that we are living through that transformed the lives not only of Black persons, but of all who experience oppression, they need to be named. We need to know their names, too. Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi. In our scripture for today from Luke, we meet the women at the foot of the cross. Last week, David Orsman preached on the scripture that relates Jesus's triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, the leader of a revolution of liberation. And this week, we find him murdered at the hands of the state. And who is around? A group of brown women three of them named in other places, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James. Most of them, though, unnamed. Like the three Marys at the crucifixion, the three names we know from the movement for black lives, Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi, stand with a host of others who have led, sacrificed, struggled, and moved us forward as a community. Let's lift the names of these persons, too. In our prayer time today, I invite you to do this. I hope you'll name them. Let us know who they are and how they helped set you free. The women at the crucifixion were persons occupied by a foreign power, controlled by agents of the state with an ethnicity different from theirs. As women, the society of that time gave them little power. They followed this zealous brown short man. Our archaeology records tell us that Jesus was somewhere between 5'1 and 5'5. Five five. Not, not because this, this, this man, this person himself held every identity that they did. He wasn't a woman. He was physically able-bodied, but, but because he was with them in a radical way. In his solidarity with them, in his honoring of their multiple identities, their suffering as well as their power and their potential, their identities and experience manifested and transformed to embody what it truly means to have God with us, as us, our Emmanuel. The truth is, it is impossible to fully comprehend the experience of someone else. And when we are members of a dominant group, it's even harder. But as a young black woman said to me and other white folks in a nonviolence training we were all in together a few years ago as part of the Movement for Black Lives, you can, un you can never understand what it's like to live inside black skin, but you can try and your attempts are noted. When I think back to that time 28 years ago, it would be tempting now to feel embarrassed about my blatant and public error. But what is so exciting about the movement for black lives, what is so hopeful is that 
is it's is that it, it, the it's the way that the, the 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 persons who are most marginalized are centered and their voices are amplified in a way that we are all invited to put aside shame and embarrassment to learn and to be better. As, as Patrice Cullors has said, Black Lives Matter is a tool to reimagine a world where black people are free to exist, to live. It is a tool for our allies to show up differently for us. Jesus was both human with particular identities, male, Palestinian, able-bodied, though I still maintain that we, we can't say anything conclusively about his sexuality. And Jesus was a divine being, our God, who contained all identities. This is the path to transformation and liberation that he offers to us. This is what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. I am one person with particular identities. You are one person with particular identities. But as members of the body of Christ, ideally, we hold collectively all identities. To the extent that that is not true, that is the extent to which we do not fully reflect the body of Christ. We've all made mistakes. And as persons who live with the blessing of Christ's grace and mercy, we can keep learning and keep growing. We do this best when we are part of a community that helps us see what we cannot see alone, helps white folks see what, we're, what we are uh, uh, blind to, what other members of dominant groups see that they can't see alone, and helps all of us show up for each other. We do this best when we struggle together to end the war on black people and follow the calls of movement leaders, just as we seek to follow the call of the one movement leader whose name we bear as Christians. We do this best when we keep striving to truly be the body of Christ on earth. Then he spoke to Magdalena, she had 
so soft and low. Then she knew he had died to teach her what there was no other way to know. I know. Shame and pain can never take My spirit is fire and flesh it is clay. Back to the clay go the men who mock you. Death is a great stone rolled away. One was Mary bearing the baby. Two was Mary whose brother was reborn. Three was Mary Magdalena bearing the gospel on Easter You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week.